What's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren, your host of Said Talk. Get it? Like TED Talk, but it's me. A couple of things. Uh, we're back. Week 14, episode 14. I really appreciate everybody who has listened thus far. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you all have enjoyed the topics that I've been bringing to you, uh, the few guests that I've had on. It looks like the ones with my brother are some of the top episodes, as well as our Black Mental Health episode with Ananda Bates is topping the charts. Uh, so this week, we are bringing you a topic surrounding my favorite subject. It's actually my career path, and that is public health. Um, As many of you know, I've been in the field for seven years now, and I'm excited to always bring you others who share the same passion for the work, especially other black public health professionals. So with us today, I have my colleague from the Fairbanks School of Public Health, Ashley Phillips. Hey, Ashley, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, Thank you for being on with us. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I'm definitely excited to have uh, other public health professionals on to share the the same kind of passion, because a lot of times when I talk, people are just kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, I know about healthcare, but I don't know about public health. So... Yes, I've, man, I've had people be like, oh, those are the people who diagnose my kids with such and such. And I'm like, no, we don't diagnose. Right. We can't have been public health. <laughs> right. We're, we're here to prevent uh, the kid from getting the diagnosis. Uh, and then if they happen to get it diagnosed, then we can give them some vaccines and stuff like that. So I got to kind of make it plain for people um, when they when I talk about public health. So I give them easy examples. I'd be like, so if you went to go get shots before you went to college or if your baby gets shots and things like that, you know, I think vaccination is probably the main thing people recognize when it comes to public health, but there's so much more. Uh, and one of the things that I mentioned in the first couple of episodes that I got started, I started going through the 10 essential services of public health and breaking those down as well. So those are definitely important. Yeah, I really love public health because because it is prevention, right? Um, a lot of times people don't really um, they don't really like think about prevention, right? We go to the doctor, we're kind of thinking about okay, how do we now fix the issue that already exists, right? Um, but let's take a step back and let's try to keep from even having those issues, having to incur incur those um, doctor bills, right? Um, so. I think that's what really drew me to public health personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to getting into public health, I was actually a lab tech in the army, nice, uh, which I loved. I, I loved being. A so lab tech. I did not know that you served. So thank you for your service. Uh, that's thank awesome. You. Did not know that. So good, good, good. <laughs> so I did five years active duty. Um, I was a lab tech, and I'm a lab rat still. I, I love labs. So. Right. I don't know. I like medical stuff and yeah. like nasty body fluids. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it, you know. So it's a nice job. But the thing I loved about it was being around patients. Right. Um, but I didn't have a lot of patient interaction. I just will go up towards draw blood or patients will come to the lab to get their blood drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like being at the hospital, you know, you just keep seeing the same people come back. Yeah. Like for the same preventable disease or whatever condition. Right. And I was like, why do these people keep coming back? And so I told my sister, I'm like, I feel like I want to do some kind of work where you help people so they don't keep coming back with stuff that like I know is preventable. Right. She's like, man, I think you're talking about public health. Yeah. 
And so, like, I didn't even know what public health was at the time. Uh-huh. I just went and, like, Googled it. And I'm like, man, that's exactly what I want to do. Like, public health is it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's what kind of sparked public health for me. And it's it's the prevention side. It's the fact that people should not have to keep coming back for certain things. You know, there are ways to prevent yourself from having certain things. And other things are not, but some things are. And there's things that we can do. Um, ourselves or within our community policy wise to, to socially um, within our society to kind of prevent stuff. For sure. I think you're like a lot of people um, who work in public health now because it's one of those fields that emerged within the last, I'd say, 30 years really. Um they kind of stumbled into it, right? They can kind of pinpoint a moment where they recognized, I didn't necessarily want to do medicine, um, but I wanted to find a way to help. I didn't, you know, I know a lot of people uh, have backgrounds in social work and then they kind of went on to get an MPH or they worked in nursing and wanted to kind of have a bigger impact on the communities that they served. So they went on to further their studies in public health and recognize that I can take both my medicinal background and bring it to public health as well. I'm like you, uh, I love medical stuff. I love medical shows and dramas and, and everything else. Uh, it's funny because like we'll be watch- I'll be watching a show, my girlfriend will be sitting with me and they'll say some word like a medical term and she'll be like what and she'll look at me and i'll be and i'll break down the term because like i know med term or whatever and i'll be like well you know heme is blood and you know this is that you know hematoma and all this stuff like so i'll break it down for her and she'll be like you should have just went to med school and i'm like no you know so uh, i think for me and i might have mentioned it on the podcast before or just talking for me it was i was in a transition point where i was switching from nursing i ended up majoring in history but i ended up picking up a health promotion education behavior minor so public health and i was taking a class that my brother actually recommended for me Uh, he was getting his master's in health administration and we were talking about insurance and you know as someone who has always had insurance uh you probably know about this tricare and things like that you know uh i'm a child of two military parents so we always had coverage. And then when they got out to the military, they were still working for the federal government. Um, so my whole life I've, I've been insured. Uh, so, you know, it's been one of those one of a piece of a privilege that I've experienced. But I know there's a lot of people who don't. And I think in that moment, learning about health insurance and coverage and that the big lack thereof is what drew me to it and wanting to uh, be able to help people get that coverage. Um, learn about diseases, preventable diseases, uh, prevent, you know, uh, break trends in in families and things like that, especially among African-Americans. So I think that was kind of that moment. And like I said, I think a lot of people can pinpoint that moment. Yeah, definitely. I think I think public health is it it because it is a newer discipline. You do end up with like an aha moment. Like I need to be doing this. Like yes, this is what it is. Yep. Um, and it, it's really cool that this field has emerged like it has, and it's just continuing to grow. Um, so yeah, I love public health. I, I always want to, despite what I'm ever doing, I always want to take a public health lens to things. For sure. It's really important to look at how do we prevent this? Um, Because a lot of times you can treat things, but if you're not preventing, then you end up with these huge epidemics. Yep. So. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think uh, physicians, nurses, all medical staff who are definitely working with patients uh, need to, they don't have to necessarily get a master's in public health, but if they have that uh, framework of, of public health, I think they really bring a new aspect and make some better conditions because they don't just understand the medical side, they understand the social side of it. Uh an example I like to give people is if you have a child coming to the ER frequently with asthma attacks and shortness of breath and all these things, you're probably frustrated because you're like, why aren't you taking your inhaler, right? Just use your inhaler, use your inhaler. And then the mom and the kid says, well, I'm using it, you know what I'm saying? But they're still having these attacks every so often. So from there, a regular clinician, I think, would say it's on the patient. It's their fault. They're being a difficult patient or whatever. But someone who has a public health lens could say, let me look at the whole picture. Like, where are you living? What does your house look like? Is there mold? Is your Are your ducts clean? Is there other things that are, you know, are you able to, do you live in a high smog area? Is there a factory nearby? You know, so a lot of other outside factors that people often forget about when we talk about the medicine. And again, preventable things, right? So good stuff, good stuff. Well, have some questions for you. So we'll get into that. And uh, I think you kind of got into a little bit of who you are. But if you want to give us uh, your current state of what you're doing and where you're working and how you got into that. Absolutely. So when I did this Google search of public health, I actually looked for uh, maternal and child health uh, concentrations and there were no maternal and child health concentrations close to where I lived or anything. So I kind of looked at, okay, what concentrations are available to me? And I saw that they had a behavioral, social, and community health concentration. So for me, looking at that, I was like, okay, this is kind of broad, you know, it's kind of generic, but I could still do maternal and child health and also have the avenue to do other things as well. Um, And the community aspect just really caught me. Um, And so I currently work um, in community health more than anything. Um, of course, under a research lens. And so what I currently do is a basically like a CBPR, so a community-based participatory research project. Um, we go into communities with high infant mortality in Indiana, and we recruit women out of those neighborhoods, and um, they become grassroots maternal and child health leaders. Um, So how we do that is we have a curriculum, we teach them, we teach them like what is infant mortality. If I say infant mortality, people would say like a baby died. But the correct definition would be um, an infant that dies before their first birthday. So really kind of teaching them what that looks like, what we're measuring, how we measure a rate and what a rate is. Um, Because they need to know that lingo because we're kind of working them up to more. Um, And then after that, we kind of teach them about um, the disparities that we have currently in our state, um, the disparities nationwide and compared to other countries because our infant mortality rates are like comparable to countries like Iraq. And if we think of Iraq, we think about a country that's war-torn, that has all these other problems going on. Yet, um, we have black infants dying at that same rate in our country and we're not war-torn. So that's a a huge issue. Um, And then we teach them about policy 
And so we kind of give them a basic policy training, but as they continue in the program, we teach them more about how to advocate for policies. Um, so going to the state house, meeting with their representatives, how do you set up those meetings? How do you communicate? How do you advocate? Um, because our program is really all about systems change. Right. Um, and the women really guide a lot of the things that happen. Like right now, they, they want to work on a policy um, around eliminating the taxes on diapers and feminine hygiene products. Um, they say they want to do this. You know, they look up the research, they start writing, they partner with legislators to do this. Um, and so it's, it's honestly been a blast because you never know what's going to happen and because they drive a lot of it because um, that's just the base of CBPR is the community driving what's happening. Um, and we just kind of guide them with some of our like public health knowledge and how to do those things. Um, and then they also do storytelling. And this part I really love, and I'm actually analyzing some of the data around this now. Um, they write their own maternal and child health stories, and we kind of compile it into a booklet. Uh, and it's really interesting to see these different various stories, um, but how impactful each and every one of them are. And so they kind of, they have personal development they work on, um, resume writing, they do community events. It's so many things. Yeah. <laughs> But I absolutely love working with them because watching them evolve in the year and a half that our program has been up has been amazing. And getting to work in a program from its inception um, has been really cool because I started off just as an intern collecting data around the zip codes with high infant mortality to now recruiting women to a program and now actually kind of teaching them this information um, and helping them develop a plan yeah. for their own. That's great. So you mentioned a couple of things that I would like to just try to expound on really quickly uh, before we move on to our next question. You talked about one, um, the CBPR. Um, in your opinion, uh, do you think community-led interventions work the best? And, and when it comes to public health interventions, do you feel like those are some of the better ones? Because we do see a lot of things and come top down, right? The, the federal government says we need this and this and this, and then they try to implement and it works kind of, but it's not necessarily as successful as it could be. Whereas we've seen, and I've seen research on this too, where health departments and other people truly engage their community to say, we can see what's going on, but do we truly know the impact it's having? So just talk a little bit about the kind of your opinions or thoughts on the effectiveness of those community-based programs. So it's, it's kind of like you said, it works kind of, mm -hmm. right? So when things come from the top down, it works kind of. You can, you can put policies in place. Um, but if you're not in tune with what's really the issue in the community, then do you know how well you crafted that policy or that thing that you put in place? Um, we have we have programs, right? We have a million programs in every city in our country that work around, I don't know, different health issues. But a lot of times we don't see any change in those issues. And it's because it's coming from the, the top down. Um, I think when we empower the community and we allow them to take the lead and say, this is what's going on or this is what we need, we get that impact. And I'll give you like a short story. 
Um, so the women in our program recently got to speak at a conference here in Indy called Labor of Love. Um, and it's a maternal and child conference. And one of, the, uh, one of the women who spoke, she talked about during her pregnancy, she had a home visiting service that would come. And she said during the time, you know, she was in a domestic violence relationship. She was extremely depressed. Um, she had a lot of issues going on. But she said, you know, I would just give them the right answers and send them out the door. Well, these are top-down programs, right? They haven't worked on building trust and relationships. Um, so doing this community program, what we see is that the women are embedded in their community. They have neighbors they are friends with. They have family members. They have neighbors who just kind of know them as like, oh, this lady kind of helps people in the community or does things. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not going to tell the home visiting service what's really going on or what they really need. But they will go to this neighborhood woman who's local. And so I totally believe that CBPR, community-based programs, where the community takes the lead, are best. Right. Um, and one more example, another one of our women, she talked about um, being addicted to drugs and being pregnant. And she said, I was so far removed from my community. And so who reaches out to that woman? Because she's probably not finding her way to the programs that are in place. Right. Um, and so it really does take for people in her community to be able to reach out to her. So I think we have to involve the community in any interventions that we're setting up so that they can kind of take the lead and pull the people in that we're not getting to. And they can tell us why we aren't getting to those people. Yeah, exactly. That's good. That's good. Thank you for that. No, I totally agree. Um, I think it's just, uh, and I think you can probably say this too, the times you've interacted with patients and I've had experience with interacting with patients too. Uh, and I think all this translates is like when you are on the ground and you get to know people and establish their rapport there, uh, because there's a lot of medical mistrust, right? There's a lot of things yeah. where if people say, if I come into your neighborhood and say the federal government wants to do this, people will shut down. Now, right. Because they don't trust the federal government, especially now. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> minority communities are not very trusting of outsiders because of past experiences with the federal government, with health uh, entities and how they they've been wrong. Uh, obviously, most famously, the um, uh Tuskegee study, uh, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more that you can that you can mention. That's just the most famous one. Uh, so it's definitely important that these communities are involved in making their own change so that it's not a one time thing. It's not a, a professor did this for some research to get some grand dollars to make a name. It's more so for the actual benefit of this community uh, to help eradicate a lot of the issues that are in that community. Right. Uh, if you empower those people, that's the term you use, empower those people to take charge of their health and understand those um, uh, understand what's going on then they're they're more inclined to you know be acceptive accepting of interventions and then start to make changes themselves that then show you know so they'll say okay well uh, they showed us how to you know, exercise and eat right so we're going to start doing that within our community we're going to set up a you know a garden and stuff like that uh and eventually you see you know diabetes rates go down overweight you know all those things go down because they took charge so that's good uh the other thing i wanted to get into is you mentioned a good term is and i think this can be applied across a lot of disciplines is systems approach right 
Um, that's a good good term because a lot of problems are systemic. Uh, so just tell us, you know, when it comes to, uh, I guess you should say, some of the work you do, the systemic changes that could take place. Um, so... I kind of will give you a background of how we do this too. Okay. So what we do is we teach the women about the social ecological model. Uh, and it's really crazy because I think people will probably be like, you're teaching them like this stuff that we teach in colleges. I, most of our women don't even, some of them don't even have a GED, but I don't care. Everybody can learn. And sure. I want them to learn it and understand it. So like I bring the model out and I'm like, hey, this is a social ecological model. They probably look at Let you me like, what? explain what this is, how it works. Right. Um, and when we get done, I, I mean, I make them kind of brainstorm an intervention. Okay, what would you do at the individual level, right? What would you do at the interpersonal level? What would you do at these different levels? Um, because I totally one want it to be practical. I want them to truly understand it. Because when we tell them, okay, now let's think of something within your community that you can do that can be a systems change. Now they understand what that is. Right. Um, because a lot of times they'll say, and these are not bad, but they'll say like, I just want to do a community baby shower. That's good. We got community baby showers all over the city. Yeah. And that's fine. And we did do one because one community, they really were like, we really just want to kick off everything we do like this one community baby shower so we can advertise like the program, what we're doing. Let them know we're community leaders. No problem. Got it. Gotcha. Um, and they and they really worked on not making it just a baby shower, but making it practical application as well. Because we we're like, and we still got to make this public health. Why? Right. Know? Right. Um, so that's why we focus on policy a lot in the program, um, because we want it to be a systems change that Good. happens. Yeah. Um, we have women who are wanting to do a program working with the prison. So um, here in Indiana, we have a women's prison and they have a We Ones program uh, where the women can keep their baby with them while they're incarcerated. Um, there's a lot of rules around it, but it's a program that happens. Um, being able to help navigate those women as they come out, um, creating a system where women can come out, get the source resources and support that they need. Because if you got dropped out of prison with nothing, with a baby, you know, or even if you didn't have your baby with you, maybe a family member had that baby. As soon as you get home, they're like, here, you need to take your baby. Right. But you need resources. Exactly. You need support. You need something in place that's going to help them. And they give them a packet of information. And we've talked to numerous women and they say, like, nothing in the packet is useful. So now we have women who are formerly incarcerated saying we want to make a new system that's going to be able to help these women. Um, so our program is really built around creating systems that now change the narrative of communities because that's what we ultimately have to do. Yeah, that's great. That's great work. Good. Um, so you've already you know, described the work that you do within your job. Uh, so I wanted to ask, too, uh, why is it important to support the health of these women, you know, incarcerated women, women in the communities, especially as it comes towards um, infant mortality, maternal health, maternal and child health? Uh, just talk about the importance of that, not only for as a whole, but especially for black women uh, in Indiana um, and elsewhere. 
Oh man. Um, so women's health is a is a, a huge thing because honestly the narrative of our country has changed. Um, and so we have more women who are working, we have more women who are doing things that kind of weren't doing the same things. I mean, 50 years ago, but even 30 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Things have changed so much. A lot of women are the breadwinners for their family. Um, They're the caregivers for a lot of different people. And so if we don't care for the health of these women, then they aren't able to care for the other people that are depending on them. Exactly. So it's really important that we as a society support them. Um, And then just as black women and as women, period, I mean, if you think about like our our health, we are dying at alarming rates just from having babies, um, from other disease, heart disease, you know, uh, breast cancer. I mean, our rates are always higher in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so just for being able to even do our day to day and take care of the people that depend on us, we we totally have to have our help. For sure. For sure. Very important. And you mentioned a good point that uh, many women are breadwinners, sole providers. Uh, They're taking care of multiple people, multiple kids, Uh, not just kids, kids and family, their mother, um, fathers, brothers are taking care of a lot of people. They are caretakers. So it is important that they maintain their health. And I think there's so much uh, stress put on them uh, that oftentimes they neglect their own health. Uh, I have to sometimes, you know, talk to my mom. You know, she's done much better, of course, over the last years. But I think, you know, with my brother and I having a healthcare and public health background, we really encourage our parents to really take care of themselves, especially my mom as well, because she can be the type to really just give, give, give and uh, not necessarily like look after herself. So we we definitely have to stay on top of her about that. Uh, I think, too, like another important thing is, too, is that women are working uh, a lot more. They're moving uh, further into their careers. They're waiting longer. The narrative of grow up, turn 18, get married, have a kid, you know, it's not really, that's not the thing anymore. It's women having kids in their late 30s, early 40s, uh, because they're focused on their career and moving forward and, you know, wanting to have the financial resources to be able to take care of a kid, uh, especially if they have to do it on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is very, um, you you made a good point that like there are a lot of people depending on them and uh you also mentioned that the the just the health uh statistics associated with black women are always much worse than everybody else's and then for black women we have to add on that initial just stress of being existing and being black in america right um there's an an added layer of a health risk that you can say and it and what what can you do about it i mean there's things you can do but like it's not a necessarily physical type thing that you can touch and say and remove uh so it's it's very difficult so that's that's a good point to make um yeah. So I wanted to, uh, as we begin to close out, you've had some opportunities to, like you said, you mentioned the importance of policy and the work you've done with these women in the community. Uh, truly, truly applaud you for that. So tell us about your recent opportunity to speak in front of the Indiana Senate and an upcoming opportunity to speak in Washington, D.C. about this topic as well. 
Um, so I was contacted uh, by Indiana Institute for Working Families, which we kind of partner with them with our program to help teach policy to our ladies. And they're like, they're phenomenal um, with policy. And so um, they asked, you know, who, who would like to testify um, for a bill for work accommodations for pregnant workers? And so uh, some of our women, they uh, wrote statements and did certain interviews with the press. Um, and so I also was able to testify um, in front of one of the Senate committees and uh, that helped push the bill through uh, that committee process. But kind of when it made it before the entire Senate, um, the bill was put as a study bill. So. You know, I'm still staying hopeful that, you know, as I study the bill, maybe next year things will work out. Um, but of course, we got to keep moving along and not, you know, just sit and say, OK, we'll wait till next year. For sure. Um, so we have an opportunity to enact a law federally. So um, I was asked to go to D.C. and talk to my representative um, from my area who is not so much on board quite yet. I think they're still trying to make up their mind and they really wanted to target um, the representatives who kind of were still not, you know, kind of teetering on the topic. Um, So I'll be in D.C. next week to do that. I'm really excited because it's a new opportunity. I have never gone to D.C. to advocate for a bill, but I mean, I think that's what we should be doing um, and really letting people see why this is truly so important. Um, It kind of goes back to, right, more women are working. Um, We have to accommodate those workers because, honestly, your retention rates will go down as a business if you endanger these women or their babies. Right. Um, And there are women that are miscarrying from being on jobs and not being able to have light duty. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for me, my rights were violated and being able to drink water um, or to have a snack. Um, And it really stressed me out. And I remember being very afraid I was going to lose my job and not feeling like I could afford to lose my job because at that point in time, I was making more money than my husband. I was at breadwinner. Right. Um, the tables have turned. Um, and I'm happy about that. But yeah. at the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was rough. Right. You know, I, I, I knew what my responsibility was to my family. I couldn't lose my job over trying to drink some water because I was pregnant. Right. Um, and my, my supervisor would harass me and follow me and be like, oh, you drinking more water? Like, you out here? No, lady, leave me alone. Right, right. It's <laughs> I'm water. Just, I'm like this water. Water bothers nobody. Like, I, I don't understand why I can't drink some water. It's not bothering you. It's not bothering me or anybody else. Like, it's not like I'm smoking while I'm working. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's a nuisance or whatever. But that's a whole nother topic. Uh, yeah, so important. Uh, so, so important. So good luck to you uh, in D.C. as well. And I'm pretty sure they'll come around in Indiana as well. Um, as you mentioned, it's not an easy road. Uh, we'll get into the process of getting, I guess you can say, bills and things passed into later episodes. I think that'll be a good one. I had a chance to sit down with someone from the um 
Center for Public Policy at IU. Um, I want to say probably when I first started at Fairbanks in 2018, uh, they had a chance to come and talk to us about the process of getting a bill passed and, you know, different committees it has to go to where you can see and track those bills. I've actually found myself on the Indiana State Government website looking at those bills during the sessions. I'm like, wow, I'm such a nerd right now. Look. <laughs> But it's it's Man, so, that's when you know you're deep in public yeah, health. Yeah, it's so important because I and then I've looked at not just the public health ones, but just the some of the random ones I've had as it as it pertains to uh, taxes and and you know you know public safety and and um, you know driving a car, or having a registered car, you know all those things that that you know affects us day day to day. And I think from a public health standpoint, the the soul of public health I think is within the people and the people having the knowledge and ability to advocate for what's best for them because your health is not just your physical health it's your mental health it's your emotional health it's your financial health and if there are policies and procedures and laws in place that are taking away from those things to where you can't achieve that balance then it's, it's time to do something um so and it's unfortunate that you mentioned, you know, the situation with your supervisor, because I can only imagine uh, women who are in roles where, again, they're, they, they're on their feet all the time, you know, or they're they're unable to take breaks properly or because that fear of losing a job, they can't take off to go to appointments and things like that. So the support that you're providing and the, the advocacy and the work that you're doing is, is very much appreciated and important uh, for these women. And I'm pretty sure even those who don't know about it, uh, hopefully they can find out about it and, and uh, be grateful for that and support and rally around that. So thank you for all that. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, like I said, I, I want to have more public health people uh, trying to show my versatility with this podcast. Uh, I filed it under society and culture when I got it on all the other things. Uh, I thought that was the best fit. So, you know, there's a little bit of entertainment, you know, a little bit of music, pop culture, you know, so a little bit of everything. Uh, so when people ask what it's about, I'm like, whatever, you know, whatever pops up. Uh, but I am starting to have a little more focus next month. We are going to jump into Women's History Month. So I have some good things lined up. We're going to continue this discussion on uh, women's health, maternal and infant uh, child health. So that's all important public health stuff. Women executives, all, all sorts of great things. So, again, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. I hope uh, all the listeners got a chance to learn something new uh, while you're on. Thanks so much. I, I'm looking forward to next month's topics. Yeah, yeah, definitely take a listen. And we'll have you back soon, too. We'll have you back uh, to get more information on the work you're doing. And you can give us an update, you know, in D.C. some months down the road, because I know that stuff takes time. So. <laughs> Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being on and we will talk to you later. So uh, thanks for everybody for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, a little bit of a change up, but with it being Black History Month, we definitely wanted to continue to bring some things that are important to you and important to our community as well. As black people, we have a lot of things going against us, but I applaud our resiliency uh, over hundreds of years over centuries to continue to make a way uh, not just for us in the present for those in the future uh, I encourage everybody to find something to be a part of uh, that benefits not only you but your community as well uh, it's important that you begin to plant the seeds that grow the trees that will give shade 
uh, for those in the future, even if you don't reap those benefits. Um, the selflessness that we need to uh, rise up and come into a better society uh, for all is uh, it's in your mind. It's at your fingertips. Uh, we need your ideas. We need your your passions. So definitely pursue those. I've talked about pursuing your passions on here many times. So definitely go after what it is that you need. So that's all I got. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at said underscore talk. I'll post some graphics uh, pertaining to the maternal and child health, uh, infinite mortality rates in Indiana as well, nationwide. And if you have any questions about those, feel free to DM us and I will definitely break those down for you as well. Uh, be sure to cop a said talk tea. You can get that in the link in the bio. All proceeds go towards my nonprofit organization, Palmetto Pride Sports, which is a low cost uh, club and travel sports organization organization dedicated to minority youth who play sports with low minority representation. Uh, so thanks again, and we'll talk to you later.